Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for the first edition of Season 8 as we begin now a rather lengthy journey uh, through the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, this will be a, 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 a long journey uh, sustained uh, examination of the Westminster Standards, uh, Lord willing, looking at it, uh, not only from a theological point of view, which is vitally important, but also from a practical perspective as well. As I have often said uh, to my own congregation, the Westminster Standards, the Confession of Faith, the larger and shorter catechisms are not only uh, vital theological um, uh, statements and, and, and um, uh, confessions, uh, but they are also very pastoral and uh, extremely devotional, helpful for the Christian as they journey uh, in, this, in this world. And so, Lord willing, it'll be approached that way, and uh, it'll be uh, done in such a way that it will help you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just give you some uh, logistical information up front before we begin looking at chapter 1, paragraph 1 this morning. Uh, the notes uh, on my website, as well as the church website, will contain not only uh, the material, the confession that we're dealing with, the section of the confession that we're dealing with, but will also, con also contain the scripture proofs, as well as some uh, further information, resources that you uh, might find helpful as you continue to study this uh, very old uh, confession of faith. Um, I'm not going to spend time in this devotional uh, going through the history of the Westminster Standards. Uh, that uh, link and information will be there on the website. Um, and so if you want to find out more information about the, the beginnings of the Westminster Assembly, why it was called, why it, uh, what work it had to do, and how it eventually produced this document, then you can just read more information about that in the various resources that I'll that I will provide. It is uh, important, however, to note that the Westminster uh, Standards has been uh, the uh, bedrock foundational doctrinal position, uh, confession of the Presbyterian Church for many, many, many years. Uh, there are two editions of the Westminster Standards. There's the original edition that was produced by the Westminster Assembly, and then there is what is known as the American Revision. Now, as a minister of the gospel in the Presbyterian Church in America, I have taken vows to uphold the American Revision, and that is the one we will be using as we work our way through, um, through these um, 33 chapters. I will take breaks along the way because it will be a lengthy season, uh, so uh, those will be announced in plenty of time for you to know when they will be. Uh, but they will be in such a place that won't create any confusion or uh, create any kind of disjointedness relevant to our discussion of these things. And so let's pray, and then we will look at, begin to look at chapter 1, paragraph 1. The chapter, of course, begins where it must begin, and it begins with the doctrine of the Holy Scripture. Let's pray together. Our Father, now as we begin this new season, as we begin this examination of what is a most glorious document that was 
put together by um, learned men so long ago, but has been very helpful to the church to instruct us as to that summary of thought as, it contain, as is contained in your word. And as we approach this chapter, uh, as we consider your word, we would pray for your guidance and strength that you would give us the grace we need to understand these things. We pray that uh, these things that are discussed would not only be that which would be theologically helpful for your church and your people, but would also be practical, devotional, pastoral, and it would help guide your people as they walk in this world. And so, with that said, Father, we pray for your Spirit to help us to attend to all that is said and heard, and we ask that you would help us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers of it as well, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, chapter 1, paragraph 1, begins a discussion of the Holy Scripture. It begins here because it is vitally important to recognize that even as the Westminster Assembly, the divines at Westminster, recognize the confession of faith is of no use if it is not rooted and grounded in the infallible truth of God's Word. That is to say that everything that they say um, must agree with the Scriptures, and where it does not agree, then it is to be rejected. And so there is no argument to be made that the confession is somehow replacing Scripture or is in line with Scripture in the sense in which it's on the equal footing with Scripture because it is simply not true. But we do believe that upon close examination that this document produced by men undoubtedly but produced nonetheless is an accurate summary of what the Scriptures do teach. Now, this is not in conflict uh, with the authority of the Bible, nor is it in conflict with the inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of the Scriptures. Uh, Men can say truthful things, though it not be inspired. Uh, For instance, uh, let me just give you an example from the Confession itself. We believe that there is one God, uh, three persons, one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now, you're not going to find that in the Bible, You're not going to find a verse that says that exact thing. But upon a close examination of Scripture, we find that that to be true. Now, men wrote that summary statement, but it does agree with the authority of Scripture. So there's no conflict here. Confessions are important. They're vital. And I know that there are people who think they're they're of no use, that the the only creed they have is Christ, which is a creed by the way. Um, And so this is not a a problem for the church. Historically, the church has always confessed their faith. They have confessed that which they believe. Every church has um, a doctrinal statement, something, a statement of belief uh, of what they believe about the Bible, about Jesus, sin, man, uh, the the future coming of Christ, and and so forth. And so this is not unusual. This is not odd. Uh, It is a guideline, and a church that will not uh, state publicly what they confess is probably a church that should be avoided. And so with that said, we begin where we need to begin. We begin with the the statements that are given here in in, in chapter 1. The first 10 paragraphs of the confession deal with the authority, deal with the uh, foundational truths as given in the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the 66 canonical books. We begin in... Chapter 1, paragraph 1, I'm just going to read it. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable 
yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal himself and to, and to declare that his will unto his church. And afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. Now there's much here to unpack in this first paragraph. I'm not going to try to unpack every pedantic detail, but I do want to focus in on one primary thing that really sets the stage for the necessity of the Bible, and that is the issue of general and special revelation. Now, if we look at Psalm 19, uh, we uh, note here, again, uh, reading the entirety of the chapter, uh, it is, of course, a Psalm of David is written to the choir master. There we read, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Their testi the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What we have here, very simply, in this chapter, and I'm sorry, in this psalm, in Psalm 19, is the, uh, the issue of general and special revelation. It's what the confession begins with when it says, The light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable. Yet... Are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation? General revelation, then, therefore, is that which we see, which we note, which we um, understand as we walk out our front door every day, as we behold the sun rising in the east and setting in the west, as we see the stars in the sky and the moon, and we witness the beauty of God's creation as the leaves change in the fall and as they come back in the spring and we, we see the habits of God in the various seasons of our year. All of these things display, they, they proclaim, they as it were preach the very existence of the God of heaven, the one who has made all of these things. They, however, uh, have a weakness and that weakness is that 
while it leaves men without excuse, they cannot say uh, they didn't know there was a God because the image of God is written upon them. And as they behold these things, they ought to turn and give praise and glory and honor to the God who made them. But because of their rebellion, they refuse to do that. Uh, They are without excuse. But this general revelation is not enough to bring us to an understanding of what is necessary to be made right with a holy God. That requires then, therefore, more revelation. That revelation is given in the back half of Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7. And that revelation is the very Word of God given, the 66 canonical books of Scripture. And so as we conclude even today, and recognizing that this is a little bit lengthy uh, opening edition of season 8, What I want us to think about, and I think is important to think about, is how the confession here uh, brings to our minds these two issues of general revelation, the creation of God and all of its beauty, and then, of course, the special revelation, the scriptures themselves. And as Christians, as we behold general revelation, we, as those who have had our eyes open to the truth of God, have been united to Him by faith in Christ, We are able then, therefore, to see the general revelation of God himself in in his creation. We're able to witness the sun, moon, and the stars and to see all that he has made and the beauty that is all around us, the birds and the trees and and the various animals that walk the earth. We're able to see the grass grow and we're able to take note of the flowers in our flower beds and we're able to see all of these things and it ought to turn our hearts and our affections to the God who made them, to give praise to him for what he has done. Christians themselves, of all people of the earth, who know and understand these matters, should see these, the, the beauty of God's handiwork as he displays his glory in the sky. And we should turn and give praise to him. Many of you have seen beautiful sunsets and beautiful sunrises. When I lived in, in uh, Tennessee, I pastor a church that was there nestled in the Smoky Mountains and the, the beautiful area of Tennessee. And, and I would often stand in the parking lot of the church and wait just for the precise moment when the sun would crest across the sky and would be uh, backdropped by, uh, by the clouds. And in the forefront was the mountains and just the, the way the sun appeared. And all of that was because of what God is doing. It was his work. It was his, his majesty being displayed for all of us to see. And as Christians, it should excite our hearts. It should warm us. We should see and look and behold the glory of our God. And we should give praise and adoration to him. And so general revelation has its purpose and it moves the the heart of God's people to worship him. We are able to do that because of what we know the scripture says about these things. And we're going to see as we continue into this um, paragraph in the Tuesday edition, we're going to see more of uh, what the scriptures teach us and why they're so necessary then, therefore, as we behold these things. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Tuesday edition, when we continue uh, looking uh, at uh, chapter 1, paragraph 1, may the Lord help you today. May you serve Him. May you behold His creation. And may you give praise to Him. God bless.